It's that time, the Betting Predators Podcast, where our main objective is hunting down the best bets for you. I'm your host, Sleepy J. You guys can find me on Twitter, SleepyJ underscore pregame. Joined here by the football fanatic, Uncle Dave. You guys can find him on Twitter at Dave underscore Essler. And you can get us both on the best sports betting information site on the web, pregame.com. All right, Uncle Dave, here we go. Another week of college football games. We're going to go ahead and give our listeners a Friday night contest. And it looks like we have four Saturday games we're going to go ahead and go over. Before we go ahead and start out, Uncle Dave, it looks like eight games right now have been either postponed or canceled due to COVID. Now, we do have a game on our slate that we went ahead and put down. It's the Cal-Arizona State game. As of right now, that game is up in the air, but Uncle Dave and I will go ahead and give you a brief handicap on that one and kind of tell you who we're thinking about taking in that game. But if that game does get called, uh, obviously there's nothing that we can do. Uncle Dave, let's start out Friday night here. Iowa minus three and a half at Minnesota. Currently, Uncle Dave, I don't have a total for this game. I seem to have oversighted myself there and missed that one. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and start first here, Uncle Dave. I lean to the over. I know it's a high point total for an Iowa game, but it looks like Iowa, you know, they've been struggling a little bit this season, but I think that they probably go ahead and show up in this game. Uh, I do know some sharp guys that are jumping on Iowa here for this contest. Iowa had a tough start. But I think they really got their mojo going against Michigan State in which they scored 49 points. Now, many of those points, Uncle Dave, for Iowa came from Michigan State turnovers. But I think they did get the ball rolling there, and I think that that's what Iowa kind of needed. Minnesota, we know that they can score. They could spread the ball out with Morgan. They got Bateman on the outside. I think they can always go ahead and keep a defense honest. But the Gophers' defense for me, Uncle Dave, is the concern. Minnesota, they allowed 36 points per game. And it's pretty much divided, you know, between the pass and the air yards, 481 yards per game they give up. So that would be a concern for me against a team like Iowa, who's looking to go ahead and bounce back here, at least offensively. You know, I could see this being a back and forth game, maybe one of those 34-30 type games. Uh, The total on this game, Uncle Dave, sorry, was 58. Uh, I do like that one over the total here. So that's the way I'll go. Don't necessarily know what I would do with the side in this one. More than likely, it would go ahead and be a pass. How you feeling, Iowa, Minnesota, Friday night? Um, you know, I think the first thing we got to start with, and it's always a factor, but in this particular time, injuries and, of course, COVID. And from that standpoint, both teams appear pretty healthy. You know, it's hard for me to fathom that this is the halfway point in the Big Ten season of eight games. Uh, and right now the Gophers are a disappointment, at least compared to the preseason expectations, which has me wondering if the effort level is there, and not just with the Gophers, but I think that can be said of a lot of teams at any conference that's fallen below the Mendoza line. You know, at, at some point they're just going to say, you know, whatever, uh, and and wonder which team shows up uh, for them. The one that crushed Illinois or the one that was crushed by Michigan, you know. And I was also just one and two and not where they wanted to be, but they've arguably played a better schedule. You know, it is going to be hard for me to back Minnesota. Their defense is 123rd in yards per play. Hawkeyes defense is fourth in yards per play. I mean, that's always a that's always a good solid bet. And the Minnesota defense doesn't just suck in any one area. They're allowing seven point three yards per rush and nine point four yards per pass. So clearly makes me lean to Iowa and or the over. Because uh, Iowa also has a big time turnover margin and but in the end it comes down to two strengths. Minnesota's run game versus Iowa's ability to stop it. And that's reflected in the ticket count with a fairly even split on this side and the total. Now, the money clearly favors Iowa. Your Iowa Hawkeyes, it opened, or at least the look-ahead line was two and a half, and, and now it's four in a few places. So 
for me, the real value in taking the Hawkeyes might be diminished. I don't know. And then the same could be said about your over. You know, it shut up three points. I think it was 55 at one point. And, you know, I have to lean Iowa. It's going to be hard, as I said, to take Minnesota. And it's funny that uh, I don't know if I'm going to bet this game, but you know what I might do? And then knowing that the, the public rarely gets both sides right, uh, and most of these games rarely end with the favorite and the overcashing, I might be the house and take the golfers in the under. Uh, but for now, I, I do lean Iowa. I think if I had to bet, you know, here we are Thursday, 24 hours in advance, you know, I, I, losing that minus three is, is kind of huge for me. And, you know, I, I might use Iowa Moneyline in a parlay somewhere. Uh, but, you know, I just I just have a hard time laying minus four. And I think that'll go up, actually. So, you know, I, I kind of want to take the under because I just don't trust either team. And, you know, I think Iowa's offense is kind of fool's gold at this point. But, again, it's Minnesota's defense. And, you know, I think it all comes down to, to who really wants to play. And, you know, I think part of both teams don't. So it's going to be a tough game, but I don't think it's going to be as easy as it might look. Yeah, I think one of the ways that maybe we can attack this, I was thinking the same thing, Uncle Dave, when I was going through looking at the three games. I'm like, maybe do we go ahead and just lay the money line with Iowa and take that big chalky favorite that's on the board? I don't know who it is. Maybe it was Cincinnati or Eastern Carolina. Somebody laying like 23 points. Just go ahead and fire them into a parlay. Uh, with Iowa because obviously you know we did lose a bunch of value here you know going ahead and laying three and a half or four points with Iowa uh, that certainly was another thought uh, I do think that game probably goes over though I have I have a gut feeling we see some points in that one let's jump over to some of our Saturday games here Uncle Dave this one should be pretty decent I think Indiana at Michigan State will uh, probably offer some fireworks Indiana's gonna be minus seven total 51 and a half I guess I'll start out with this one. I like the over in this one too, Uncle Dave. I think these are two pass-happy teams. And I don't think either is going to change their stripes for this game. Both teams, you know, they're throwing right now at like a ratio of, you know, three to four to one. So I see passing throughout this entire game. You know, if either team's weakness, if either team has a weakness, it's on defense. It's And it's the pass defense. You know, Indiana, they've been pretty good to kind of, I think Indiana's actually been really good. And if they go ahead and change things up for this game, I think that might actually hurt them. So I'm going to go ahead and look for Indiana to kind of be aggressive and, you know, go ahead and continue to stay, you know, what they've been doing. They've been throwing the ball uh, all over the field. And I think that'll end up eventually putting some pressure on the Spartans to go ahead and keep up. Uh, As I said, I I looked at these two teams and I looked at their six games combined and I didn't really see anything that said under. So it would be a, a pizza bet. For me in this one, I think it's a relatively easy call. I lean to to Indiana, Uncle Dave, just because Michigan State has kind of, I don't know, they, they, they look blah. And I know Indiana has had, you know, I know they're 3-0, and and I know that they've had, you know, some decent tests out there. So I would probably lean that way. I don't know if I want to lay the seven on the road. I'll let you try to convince me if the Hoosiers are the way to go. But as I mentioned, I'll go ahead and make a pizza bet on the over. You know, you almost have to do a double take sleepy when you see Michigan state as a touchdown home underdog really. And, and that in and of itself is always tempting for me. And I also have to do a double take seeing the Hoosiers ranked 10th in the nation. You know, is that real? I mean, and that could change when they play at Ohio state next week. So there's a little bit of a look ahead, but then again, you know, it is Indiana and it used to be in that good. So I don't see that as a, as a huge look ahead. Because uh, they just don't have these kind of expectations, and I think I'm going to more or less disregard that. The thing here 
And I talked about this a minute ago is how much motivation does Michigan State really have to even salvage respectability? You know, this could be the easiest game left on their schedule. So uh, if the complete collapse isn't this week, it's probably next week at Maryland, and especially if they lose this one. But Sleepy, what's striking here is that statistically, these are two of the worst rushing teams in the NCAA. Spartans average 2.2 yards per carry, and Indiana is only running it for three yards per carry. So, you know, with all the Michigan State bashing uh, that, that I've done and everybody's done here, the defense has been pretty solid against the pass, which is obviously what Indiana is going to want to do there, 10th in yards per pass. So maybe we have an inflated total because of all the points Indiana has been scoring. Uh, and the market and the sharps tend to agree. So with that said, I can make a case for the under, but not a really good one. And, and maybe this is the Spartans' last stand before the free fall. So at plus seven, I, I can almost swallow Michigan State because as badly as they've shown, at some point the pendulum has swung too far in, in regards to the point spread. You know, there's always adjustments, and at some point um, it's time to go the other way. So, you know, if you made me, I, I would take Michigan State. You know, Uncle Dave, it's not that I that I want to disagree with you because I think if we go back – and we look at these two teams probably over the last 20 years. I think you would agree with me that Michigan State is, is a completely different caliber football team than Indiana. I mean, the one thing that keeps me away from Michigan State, and I, I, I know you'll probably agree with me on this, how in the hell is Indiana ranked number 10 at this point of the year? They have to be good. Like, they just have to be good. It doesn't matter what's going on. I understand it's a COVID season. But Indiana to be ranked tenth, they they would probably have to be nine and zero on the season in order to ever ever achieve that type of ranking for that football team. So the fact that they are ten, it just tells me like the pollsters actually know that this team is actually really good. So that's why I would be really hesitant to go ahead and back Michigan State because when when the hell have we seen Indiana at you know a, 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 the number ten team in the nation? It's just I don't know if I've ever seen it. So this team has to be good. And, yeah, they, they beat some decent teams. So that's one of the things that I was thinking about, that this team might actually be, you know, they might actually be the number 10 team in the nation. So that that's certainly the one reason why I'm, I won't back Michigan State. Now I'm, I'll still go ahead and I'll play the over on that one, Uncle Dave. I guess you and I will end up on opposite sides uh, in that game. I think we'll figure out exactly who Indiana is in this game, the fact that, you know, they do have a look ahead here at least, and they do have a tough road test. You know, if they come out and they look impressive in this game, then I think we might, you know, reconsider what we do think about Indiana as far as being, you know, anywhere near like a good team. Maybe they actually are a very, very good team. And at least for me, maybe I'm just kind of late to the party with Indiana uh, with my thinking. Let's jump over to Colorado at Stanford, Uncle Dave. Stanford's going to be minus seven here. 54 for a total. I'll let you go ahead and rip and run on this one first. Yeah, when I was looking at this game and looking at the schedule, it's crazy to think that here we are in mid-November and these teams are about to play just their second game of a six-game season. You know, it's crazy. It's wild. You know, if you can make some money uh, in this COVID season, uh, more power to you. Um, I'm doing not too bad, but I'm not kicking ass. And I think people are going to look at Colorado based on their win over UCLA and Stanford getting slapped at Oregon. But the Colorado win has some red flags, I think, if you dig deeper. They did run 92 plays. 
They also let UCLA average 7.4 yards per play and put up almost 500 yards of offense. If the Bruins don't turn it over four times, I don't think Colorado wins that game. So there may be a little bit of a deceiving box score there. On the other side, Stanford and Oregon, they did put up 400 yards, and they averaged 7.2 yards per play. So there's, I think there's some hidden upsides to the three-score loss they had there. And, you know, with that said, they do have some COVID issues, which may or may not affect who plays and who doesn't. Uh, But it probably hurt practice, I would think, a little bit. And I do think what we do see here, you know, here's your over. I think we see a higher scoring game than somebody might expect with a typical Stanford team based on what we're accustomed to. Uh, but then the money clearly disagrees with that. It, the, the totals come down, and the tickets are all on Stanford, which I'm actually inclined to agree with. Uh, I would like to see something less than less than seven, especially with the under money coming in. But, you know, Kyle Dorrell, the bus coach, in his first season, I think it comes down to trusting David Shaw more. Uh, Durrell's always been an offense-first kind of guy, so I'm not sure the under is something I can wrap my head around here. And I was thinking that if there's less effort by some teams that are more or less going to go through the motions, I think you'd see that uh, almost in a six-game season, and I think you'd see it more on defense. So um, this is one I'm inclined to go Joe Q and take Stanford in the over. I think you can go a bunch of different ways with this one, Uncle Dave. Let's start out with what you started out with your handicap, the fact that you know we're in the middle of November and these teams have only played one game. You don't know what you're going to get. And then if you go back and you look at the – at the box scores and the scoreboard from last week, they do look kind of screwy. I like the over as well, but I think that I would be a little bit tempted to take the Buffaloes on the money line. And that would be a pizza bet, but it's more for, you know, it's kind of uncertainty that I think if Colorado shows up in this game that they can win. and And I worry about Stanford, you know, the Colorado scoreboard last week, I'm not necessarily sure if it if it's not, if it's true or not. You know, Colorado win that game, Uncle Dave. They had a 35 to seven lead against UCLA, and then they just simply just let off the gas. And, and UCLA, you know, they did have some rounds left in the chamber, and they actually turned that into a game. But I just wonder if you know if Colorado had kept the pedal on the metal, you know, what that game might actually really look like. So I'm not sure. And you had mentioned you know turnovers being uh, something that we had to factor into that game. So. Uh, that was just that was it was a tough a tough game to look at. I saw a lot of things like within that box score that that looked a little bit deceiving. And then, as you had mentioned, Stanford they go ahead they lose against Oregon, and now they're a seven point favorite. Which to me and you, you know, if we see that automatically, it's going to smell a little bit fishy. As I had mentioned, I lean to the over here, but I do have some concerns here with Stanford, and and it comes down to the kicking game, and it worries me about taking Stanford, and it worries me about taking the over. Stanford's field goal kicker last week, Uncle Dave, he missed every field goal he took. They were 0 for 4 in field goals last week. And when we're betting overs and we're taking a team, the last thing you want to see is a field goal kicker who simply can't go ahead and make a damn field goal. And what that usually does is, you know, it makes the head coach, you know, really worried about, you know, going out there and maybe making a 27-yard field goal when it's fourth and six, and instead – of kicking a field goal, they go ahead and they go for it on fourth down. Then, you know, it's it's a lost opportunity. And it's like, all right, well, we just flipped the field. They didn't get any points. And now we got to go back down in the other direction against, you know, a defense that's probably going to be pissed off. So it, it, was, it was tough for me to really, you know, make make any bones about this game. I think that a lot of the things are, are deceiving with this one. So 
if everything that I'm thinking, if the Colorado team let off the gas, then I think we, we go ahead and we play them on the money line with the pizza bet. And I think we go ahead and we play the over because if that Colorado defense is, is really, you know, if it is bad, then I think there's a good chance we can see the over, but I have a feeling we have to hold our nose uh, with the Stanford kicking game uh, at some point in this game. I, it's just, there's no way that this kid can't make a field goal and then it's not going to show up in the next week. He's not probably going to go out there uh, and go four for four, or three for three. Uh, I have a feeling we'll be missing our nose with, with uh, the Stanford kicker for sure. Um, why don't we talk Louisville, Virginia, Uncle Dave? Right now, it looks like Virginia is going to be minus three and a half, total 66 and a half. I looked at this game, Uncle Dave, and I'm like, these are probably, we talked about these two teams quite a bit to our podcast, but these are probably some of the goofiest and hardest teams to go ahead and figure out in college. No, I don't have a clue what to expect from either of these teams. I do have a lean in this game, but I kind of want to hear your handicap first to see if it aligns with my lean. If, if you do, I'll go ahead, I'll play it. And if you don't, I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll just pass the game. I mean, these two teams to me, um, you know, throughout the last couple of weeks as you and I are handicapping them, I mean, I don't know if there's any more Jekyll and Hyde teams that, that, that you can find in college football. So I don't know what to make of these two teams, Uncle Dave. Maybe you got a better handle on it. But why don't you talk about Louisville, Virginia, what you're thinking? Yeah, I'm going to do that, Sleepy. I'm gonna, I am gonna. want to go back to your point about the Stanford kicker a little bit, you know, which could be actually more of a case for the over because, you know, obviously if David Shaw doesn't trust him and it's fourth and one on the 15-yard line, they might go for it. So you may see a few more points. But to your point about the Jekyll and Hyde, you know, yeah, here we are. And, you know, here we are in the ACC. And by comparison to the Pac-12 playing their first or second game of six, this is Louisville's eighth game, and they're off a bye. And Virginia's also off a bye, and they've had a couple of weeks to savor that big win over North Carolina. Now, even though the Cavs are only two and four, they've played some good teams in some respectable games, saved the Wake Forest loss. But for me, it's hard to wrap my head around Louisville at all, simply because I don't know who's going to show up. You know, are we going to get the team that lost to 19 at Georgia Tech or the one that beat FSU by 32 uh, or the one that only lost by five in South Bend? I don't uh, you know. It's hard for me to bet on a team that's that uh, sort of dysfunctional, I guess. You know, I lean to Virginia, but clearly I would have been much happier to lay a minus three. Uh, but is three and a half enough to get me to look at Louisville? Probably not. You know, then I digress to which Cardinal team shows up and, you know, I would prefer some predictability. You know, Louisville is not going to beat UVA running the ball, period. UVA's rush defense is 17th in the nation in yards per. And UVA isn't beating anyone throwing the ball. They're 108th in yards per pass. So where does that leave us? I think it leaves us with turnovers. UVA isn't great at protecting the ball, but Louisville is terrible at protecting the ball. And to compound that problem, the UVA defense is getting takeaways. So I got a default to the home team. Only hope I could get minus three. Uh, you know, there's never a good reason to tease a CFB game, but I'm gonna take every opportunity with a total of 66. Uh, that makes points uh, and teasing about as negative EV as you can get. So I can only look under here with the potential for turnovers. Now that would pr predicate where on the field they happen. Uh, you know, if they happen in your own end zone, short field is gonna sail over. Uh, but I would tend to lean under. Uh, and, and by default, I can't take Louisville. So I got to come down to Virginia and, and pray that Louisville doesn't show up and play as well as they're capable of playing. 
I leaned to the over in that one, and that was the direction I was going. And I, I honestly, I didn't feel comfortable at all in that. So uh, I'll go ahead. I'll pass that game. Let me go back to the Stanford Colorado game and see what you're thinking here, Uncle Dave. The fact that you brought up, you know, that Stanford, you know, maybe they're at the 15 yard line or whatever, and it's you know fourth and two, fourth and three, and they go for it. Let's not go ahead and just put all our eggs in, in the basket with one particular handicapping thing, you know, when, when we're talking about that field goal kicker. But the total is 54, Uncle Dave. But let's say the, that type of scenario does play out in this game. Maybe it happens, you know, more than a few times. You know, do do we consider maybe playing an alternate total and maybe at like a big plus money to say, uh, you know, this game's going to go under. Uh, maybe if you guys are thinking under, maybe you go ahead and you play it you know, under 37 and a half, or maybe we go and we play it over 65 and a half. Do you think like, you know, when it comes to a team where at least you and I seem like we're at least thinking about maybe Stanford, maybe going away from their kicker and maybe we, we find more fourth down tries. Um, do you think that that certainly would, that'll, that's going to skew the total in some way, shape or form. Is this a game that you particularly maybe would look to go ahead and play alternate total? Yeah, I could totally see that happening. And, and to your point about, you know, not, um, you know, lots of ways to look at things. I mean, I, you, you try in, in as much time as you have in a given day to, to not overlook anything. Um, and that was just a scenario that I saw playing out. And, you know, that could that could go one of two ways. You know, I mean, do the math. If, uh, they, if they have two fourth and one situations from the 15 uh, and, they, and they, they fail to make one, and they make another one and go on to get seven. Well, that's seven instead of two threes, so that's more points. So, if I were going to play an alternate total in that case, I would probably uh, look more at the over uh, than I would the under. And you know, that's it's it's not a sure thing. I mean, now we're getting into sort of semi derivatives, if you will. But yeah, absolutely, I I totally get your point there. Yeah, I think that at least if we're ever going to play an alternate total, and this is something for the listeners to kind of take into account. You know, that you do have to find some type of alternative handicapping when it comes to, you know, an alternative total. And I think at least within this game, this is one thing that you guys can kind of take away is that, you know, there could be one thing that leads to another thing. And the fact that, you know, we don't talk about kickers all the time. We don't talk about, you know, teams that may or may not be going forward on fourth down. But this is certainly something that, you know, at least that I I think will show up in this game where, you know, it could affect you know, it could affect this game in a, in a very big way, but I do think that there's a chance that we could probably go ahead and maybe look at playing, you know, maybe some alternate lines altogether in this particular game. Let's jump over to one of the big ones here, Uncle Dave, Wisconsin at Michigan. Michigan, they're going to catch plus three and a half here at home, total 53 and a half. I guess I'll start this one out. You know, I'm not exactly, I'm not exactly sure who Wisconsin is right now. I mean, they did post a nice win, 45 to seven against Illinois, but the Illini, I mean, they're not very good. Michigan struggled. You know, they've had a tough schedule to go ahead and start out first three games of the season. But I wonder if this Wisconsin defense is for real and it appeared to be for real against Illinois. I mean, Michigan probably, I don't think they win this game. I mean, the stats from Whiskey last week, Uncle Dave, they just looked impressive up and down the entire box score. 43 minutes of time of possession to the Illini's only 16 minutes. Illinois only 218 yards of offense, only 89 yards of passing. I think one of the ways I'll probably look to go ahead and mess with this game, Uncle Dave, is go ahead and, and look at it through live wagering. 
And if I see Michigan struggle to get any type of daylight, I'll probably go ahead and just live bet whiskey. You know, if I can get it under a touchdown, if Michigan starts out with the ball and it just looks like, okay, because I didn't get a chance to watch a minute of the Wisconsin game. So I'm pretty much relying on the box score. But if I see Michigan looking like this is going to be a, they're going to have to execute on each and every play and they're going to have to bring their A-plus game in order to get through this defense, uh, then I'll probably just live bet whiskey. That's the way I was thinking about it. So for me, um, I'm clearly going to stay away from Michigan and it's going to be more of a, a look towards Wisconsin uh, through, li- through live wagering. That's the way I'll look at that one. Uh, I think Wisconsin looked you know, somewhat, somewhat impressive on offense, and I, I think that defense actually might be for real. So that's what I'll kind of do with that game, Uncle Dave. No particular play of his yet, but that's what I'm going to do. Well, you know, here we go again with the Big Ten double take. You know, Michigan's a home underdog to someone not named Ohio State. And, you know, here they're underdogs to a Badger team that's played just one game, and that was three weeks ago. So I can't take too much from that box score, as you already sort of alluded to. And for me, we need to know if Mertz is going to be under center for the Badgers. I suspect he'll be able to play it out of COVID protocol, but without practice, you know, he might not. And that's been sort of rumored. And I think the same could be said for number two, Chase Wolf, who's also been in protocol, and they're both sort of able to be released uh, probably tomorrow, Friday night. So it'll be a last-minute call. But, you know, the Badgers' starting quarterback could be Danny Vandenboom, who has thrown exactly one pass in three years. I probably had a lot of reps in practice, but, you know, that just doesn't cut it. You know, I just wonder with that huge layoff and the interruptions in practices that Wisconsin had compared to at least some consistent schedule in practice from Michigan. I could wrap my head around Michigan, but only for the first half because, you know, you just don't know what kind of continuity Wisconsin has. Uh, if Vandenboom is the quarterback, I might consider Michigan for the game. Um, but certainly for the first half, you know, the total is going up, which is somewhat surprising. And that's obviously also quarterback dependent, uh, ultimately. And once again, I don't see this as the favorite and the overcashing. I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, obviously it's a systemic thing. If I had to right now, as of Thursday night, I'll be the book once again and take the dog in the under, but I'll probably take Michigan first half. All right, good stuff on that game. Okay, Dave, let me go ahead and rewind the tape back here probably to, I don't know, I'm going to say maybe maybe NBA season where I had said, you know, I kind of enjoyed, you know, all the different types of handicapping. And, and yeah, COVID sucks, but I said it's going to afford us a lot of opportunities to go ahead and handicap games differently. It's not that I want to recant on my, uh, you know, on my statement, but I guess I'm getting kind of tired of, of handicapping games, you know, through a lens with COVID. So I uh, just want to go ahead and throw that out there because it does get annoying, you know, not knowing if guys are going to play. Sometimes you wish you just had normality back. And I think that that's going to be, I think it's going to create, it's going to create another hurdle, at least for the handicappers in the books to, you know, be handicapping this way all the time. You know, I mean, we're going on what, eight, nine months now, and then you finally go back to normal. Uh, I think it's going to go ahead and create a little bit. Of, I think it's going to go ahead and create a little bit of an issue for people going ahead and finding their, uh, you know, finding their groove once again. But uh, we'll continue to go ahead and deal with, you know, the whole COVID situation and all the handicapping hurdles that we have to go through. 
some of them do provide us with uh, some pretty unique handicapping angles. This one that's coming up next year, Uncle Dave, is uh, pretty much surrounded all around COVID. We got Cala, Arizona State. Arizona State will be minus three and a half, total 47 and a half. Now, this game, as of right now, it's up in the air. Many of the Cal players right now, uh, they are in quarantine due to contact tracing because of the COVID. So we're going to end up seeing uh, if this game get played. We'll end up seeing if this game actually does get played. But if it does, I don't know. I, I think there's probably some value here, Uncle Dave, and probably the home team in the Sun Devils. You know, they are coming off of a loss to UFC, so you would expect probably a rebound here. You know, I like Herm Edwards. I like the Arizona State quarterback, Daniels. I think he's actually, I think he's actually very good. And the fact that Cal hasn't, you know, they haven't played a game yet. We don't know what the hell we're going to get from them. So for me, it would just be a lean to Arizona State. Just one, they have, you know, they have a game under their belt. I trust their head coach. I trust their quarterback. And I think if you if you take a look at all the teams in college football, like if there's like an epicenter for, you know, just all, all types of shenanigans and, you know, you don't know if a team's playing, you don't know if a team's practicing, it's got to be Cal. Um, so I just wonder, like, you know, what it's been like for Cal, you know, throughout the entire offseason – and now coming into this season, you know, it doesn't even look like they might have a full team out there if they do put a team out there. So, I don't know. I just, I, I just can't trust Cal. It would be Arizona State or nothing for me. How do you think about that game? You had a lot of nails on the head there, Sleepy, with this whole handicapping thing. You know, when, when we're doing it you know, sort of non-COVID, there's always a lot of things, and, and now there's just more. But, you know, let's look at this game. Cal is only going to play five games this season. And this is numero uno, assuming they play, and assuming they do play all five games. Three of them, obviously, including this one, are on the road. So I thought about that. And if there was ever a team that could quit before they started, you know, Cal would fit that bill. Uh, But those things are relatively easily found and factored into the line. I think the other question for me, Sleepy, is how Arizona State feels after gift wrapping that game to the Trojans uh, when they actually have five more winnable games on their schedule. I'm a little surprised, given what we do know, that ASU isn't favored by more than three and a half or four, and it seems like money is a leaning cow here. Having said that, um, Arizona State brings back most of their defense, but Cal brings back the highest percentage of their offensive production in the nation. You know, my Cal issue is that they bring back the least amount of defensive production, and now they face a team that's not only played a game, but played a good defense. So with that said, Sleepy, I can't see Cal coming out with a ton of rhythm early on. So if I do take Arizona State, it'll not be another one of those surely for the first half. And as far as that total goes, uh, the total is low for a CFB game, and it's dropping, which I can't disagree with, but I would have liked 48, so I'm going to pass. So uh, I think I would have to take Arizona State. Um, and, and again, you know, Cal could come in and whip the living shit out of them. But based on what we do know, just being their first game and, and having the COVID issues and whatnot, I got to take Arizona State for the first half. I think that's probably the smartest bet to make in the game, Uncle Dave. You know, I didn't even consider that until you had started talking. But that's got to be that's got to be the wise guy wagers is to take the home team at home in the first half. I mean, I, I don't see any other real way um, that we could play it. I feel like we're guessing. Maybe, you know, taking three and a half or, or laying three and a half or playing the total. Like it feels more of a guessing type of game. But I think you I think you hit the nail right on the head. That that's gotta be the wise guy wager in this game. 
Well, that'll wrap up all the games that we're going to go ahead and cover here for the college football podcast. If you guys haven't caught the NFL pod uh, that is posted on my Twitter at sleepyj underscore pregame and Uncle Dave's at Dave underscore Essler. Uh, also, we got some Masters stuff up as well. Uncle Dave and I covered uh, pretty much a bunch of stuff in the Masters. And as you guys know, you can kind of you can live bet all that stuff uh, throughout the entire Masters tournament. So if you guys are looking for some Masters information, uh, that's up on our Twitters as well. And uh, Chris and I will go ahead. We'll do our money picks pod tomorrow night for NFL player props and DFS. So you guys should be pretty much stocked up. We got college basketball coming up here in a couple of weeks. We'll be letting you guys know what we're going to go ahead and do for that. And then we got NBA. That'll be exciting. Bowl games and then NFL finishing up the regular season in the playoffs. So, all right, guys, as promised, going to go ahead and talk to Dan Rivera a little bit about the NBA draft. You know, we haven't heard a whole hell of a lot, you know, about the NBA draft. That's actually going to be coming up uh, this upcoming week. So I wanted to go ahead and talk to Dan. This is one of the things that Dan specializes in is draft. Uh, that's how Dan ended up on our podcast, NFL draft. You know, he started to take a liking to the draft process. So the NBA draft is here. Dan's actually been digging in, doing a lot of work over the last couple of weeks, digging into the NBA draft, who might go where. So, Dan, you know, when it comes to the sports betters, now we could probably get a bunch of props on these. I'm guessing probably within the next couple of days we'll probably find something. So how are you going to go ahead and approach the NBA draft this season? Yes, Sleepy. The draft is next Wednesday, and you're correct. I've not heard much info from this. I've heard people kind of touch on it, but the problem is we're in the middle of the NFL season, and probably a lot of people don't care about the NBA draft. To me, I love this stuff. But similar to the NFL draft, all these books have lines out, they have props out, and all these plays I'm about to give you guys, you can go out and get for yourselves, depending on if you have access to the book or not. But don't be afraid to be laying the heavy juice here. So in some instances, players are slotted into certain ranges. For example, a player could be anywhere from the 5 to 8 range. They could have a head-to-head matchup of another player who's going to go at worst, or my apologies, at best, 8. So in that situation, if you have one player going 5 to 8 range versus a player who goes 8 to 12, don't be afraid to lay the heavy juice here in that situation for the player in the 5 to 8 range. The NFL was something similar. These books have to be super careful about slotting these guys, and that's where we can start taking advantage of them as a better. Because a lot of these books are just kind of putting numbers out there. They're not doing much research on it, well, not compared to me. And what you can do is start aggregating mock drafts and finding other people in roughly the similar range, and hopefully you can find a player or two, maybe three or more, of a draft prop over under in particular of their range where it's inside or outside that range. So it looks like the number one pick, Dan, going into this draft is probably going to be LaMelo Ball. We haven't heard a whole lot from his dad coming out with any sneaker lines or, you know, trying to go ahead and, and politic, you know, where LaMelo should or should not be going. What are you hearing right now, Circle LaMelo Ball? Is he going to go number one? Is anybody going to trade up, trade down for him? What's the news right now around him? In 2020, it gets more strange, Sleepy. I've not heard a single word out of LaMelo Ball's dad, LaFar. Everybody knows how that went. But if there's one pick you guys are listening to right now, this is the one I got to tell you, go play it right now. Don't wait. So earlier today, I've seen on various books, LaMelo Ball was plus money to go above Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards was the number, presumptive number one pick for the longest time up until the last few days. He's a kid out of Georgia. LaMelo Ball, the last few days, the hype train and all these NBA GMs were leaking that he's going to go number one overall. And here's my question to you, Sleepy. Let's look at the Timberwolves. 
Do people really care about the Timberwolves? No. You're an owner. You know you don't have fans. You lost a bunch of money already to COVID. And you don't have the money coming back in probably for another two or three years from fans. So what do you have to do? You have to get people to care about you through TV. LaMelo Ball right now, I stated it. He is off the hype train in terms of just straight hype. And everybody's loving this dude. Yes, I know LaMelo Ball and D'Angelo Russell probably won't mesh well. But to me, if you're the Timberwolves, you either have to take LaMelo Ball in terms of getting some of your money back in viewers because we know owners really mingle with the NBA draft, or you trade out to somebody else. So to me, if you can get LaMelo Ball to go number one pick plus money, I like that bet a lot. Or, Sleepy, let's take it a step further. Anthony Edwards has an over-under draft position of one and a half. And for the most part, a lot of these books still have him favored to go number one. If you can play him to go over one and a half, meaning he'll go after pick one, at higher odds than LaMilla Ball going number one, go ahead and play that instead. What about Wiseman? Because I keep hearing about Wiseman that he's almost dead set number three. Is that almost for certain? Wiseman, I am not touching because I can argue several different positions for him. Wiseman is the kid out of Memphis. He had the allegations because he got paid because the NCAA, God forbid, you pay somebody. He only played six games. He's a long athletic big he's about 7-1 but we know well no one believes he's going to go number one or trade up the number one to get Wiseman it's LaMelo Ball or pass at number one so who's number two that's the Warriors the Warriors need a big but the problem is the third team the Charlotte Hornets they want LaMelo Ball desperately I believe it was either CBS or somebody else posted that they were stating they want Wiseman super bad in Charlotte so one of two things are going to have to happen. If the Warriors want them, they'll take them. That's the end of the discussion. If you're the Warriors, do you really need Wiseman right now? The kid's 19. You can't do anything with them. The Warriors are about titles right now with the Splash Brothers coming back next year. So if you're a team, let's say you're in the 4-9 to nine range, you know these top guys are going to be there, so you have to trade up. You know the Charlotte Hornets are making it well known that they want Wiseman. So the Warriors could trade down for Wiseman. And in that situation, I don't know who would trade up. I can argue four different teams because a lot of people want to trade up. But Wiseman, he could go to. I don't think he's he's definitely not getting past three for sure. So, Sleepy, to answer your question, Wiseman probably goes two, and you see Edwards slip to three a bit. You know, I thought Obi Toppin from Dayton was going to end up going to the Warriors. I just thought that he would be a better fit than Wiseman. I'm not sure what you're hearing right now about Toppin from Dayton, but what have you heard? For all you guys who don't remember Obi Toppin back in Dayton, back in March, he was a player of the year, got kind of lost in all that situation because by the time he won it, COVID really shut down the country. But if you go to Obi Toppin, he has an over-under draft position of four and a half. A lot of books have this juice to minus 200 territory. I grabbed that to minus 170 territory. And I like anything over four and a half that's not above 180. So if you can find Obi Toppin over less than minus 180, I, I like that play a lot. But the problem with Obi Toppin is this dude is not going top three. So that means if he plays under, he's the only place you have to go is four. I don't buy it. And the biggest red flag about Obi Toppin is he's 22 and going to be going on 23 soon. If you're an NBA GM in the top five area and you draft him, that's a red flag and that's probably going to get you fired. So you can't be playing Obi Toppin that, or my apologies, you can't be drafting Obi Toppin that high. Yes, he won player of the year, but the dude's almost 23, dominating a bunch of college kids. So I think he's going to go into the 5-8 to eight range, 
Don't be surprised if he goes nine or ten either. Oh, what about some overseas guys? Anybody hitting the board from overseas yet or no? Yeah, Lamella Ball is is he's from Australia. Or my apologies, Lamella Ball is deemed overseas. He went to I believe it was Australia in the semi professional league. There's another kid out of France whose name I'm not going to try to pronounce. And there's another kid out of Israel. Again, I'm not going to try to pronounce it. The problem with these overseas kids right now, in a typical year, I'd feel much more comfortable as a GM or telling somebody to play these props. Because under a normal year, you have the film, you have your overseas scouts doing their due diligence. But the problem is, United States shut down back in March. A lot of other countries shut down. So now all of a sudden, you're just relying on the film. So these overseas kids, I think, took a big hit this year. And I don't think they're as attractive as these domestic kids who you can go talk to in an interview. So I think the, anybody overseas who's not the Israel kid, not the France kid, and not Ball, I think that's a red flag just because they couldn't get their due diligence done. Yeah, that makes good sense. I mean, you got to consider the fact that, you know, we don't necessarily know what they went through, you know, overseas when it came to the COVID. Like, were they playing at all? You know, were they shut down for, you know, two, three, four, five weeks at a time? You know, how much were these kids actually able to play? Um, I think that that's certainly that that's more than likely going to end up hurting their draft stock for sure. Uh, as I had mentioned, you'll go ahead and talk about some props that are coming out. Anything new, I'm sure you'll go ahead and update uh, on your Twitter account. Do you have any other props that you're looking at that you typically look at when the draft comes around? Yeah, I have a couple written down here, and you guys can go play these. I'll even tell you what book to go play them at. But I t- stated to take Obi Toppin over four and a half. I saw it at minus 171 at points bet. I stated play Lamella Ball number one pick or Anthony Edwards over one and a half, depending on what the pi- higher payout was. But another player I like, it's a France kid, and I'm going to totally butcher his name, Killian Hayes, over under draft position of six and a half at some books and seven and a half at other books. The mock drafts have this kid going at eight the earliest. I've not seen a single mock draft put him at seven or higher. We know he's not going top three. I'll be stunned if he goes top five because I just too many question marks with this kid. So if you're the New York Knicks, they everybody has the New York Knicks taking this kid. The New York Knicks also have been rumored to really like Obi Toppin. So in this situation, at six and a half, you're going to have to really let the juice here. I see it as high as minus 175 on points bet. Or seven and a half over under draft position at minus one thirty four DraftKings. I like both. It just depends on your risk. I've actually played both at both books. But to me, Killian Hayes over seven and a half or six and a half. I think I like that one a lot just because he's got that question mark. And I've not seen anybody but the Knicks take him, assuming they don't trade up. I think one of the things we should consider with that, Dan, is that the Knicks are the ones eyeing him. You know, the Knicks have also been rumored the last couple of days, at least in the media. You know, that they're maybe looking to go ahead and grab somebody like a Russell Westbrook. Well, guess what? More than likely, if that does happen, that pick's probably going to go bye-bye. And then you end up with a new team coming in being like, you know what? We, we didn't have our eye on that guy. You know, like we, we didn't think we were ever going to get a chance to get that guy. Don't know a lot about him. You know, maybe he doesn't fit a certain team scheme. So uh, the way you're talking, it sounds like, you know, it's the Knicks or nothing right now, at least at that seven spot. So maybe if the Knicks do move out of there, maybe it actually shuffles him back even further because obviously he's not going to go forward. So uh, I think that that's something that we want to certainly go ahead and consider. So my my gut feeling, I don't know if you if you you know agree with me, Dan, but you know if we see the Knicks go ahead and trade anything, we immediately go ahead and we play the kid from France. We go and we we just play him to go you know a lot further back in the draft. 
I think that that would probably be, you know, one way that we would go. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would agree with that. You nailed it on the head. Even in the NFL draft, if we go back to the NFL draft in the March and April, because I'm a draft nerd, everybody had Justin Jefferson going to the Eagles. And I know the Eagles regret that pick right now. But if you only see one guy constantly being mocked to one team, all of a sudden you're banking on that one team. And I've, I'll say this again, a lot of teams are looking to trade up because they're so unsure about some of these prospects in the teen range or lower single digits. So if you're a GM this year, you have to get somebody you're much more confident in because if not, there goes your job. But if the Knicks trade, assuming they trade before draft night and assuming you can still get this prop, if you see the Knicks trade for Russell Westbrook, that slip that if you see the Knicks trade for Russell Westbrook, this pick probably does go. And all of a sudden, I would definitely load up on this haze over draft prop. All right. Well, good stuff on that one. We'll certainly go ahead and keep our eyes open uh, for some bunch of draft stuff from Dan uh, over the next couple of days. As Dan, I mentioned, you know, the, the draft is coming up here in a couple of days. But we wanted to go ahead and squeeze something in for you guys, for those of you guys that are looking to go ahead and bet that. Uh, big thanks to Dan for going ahead and taking out some time, doing the research on this solid stuff, Dan. Always appreciated. Go ahead and we'll keep busy here. Hopefully we can go ahead and keep churning out the winners for you guys. Uh, but with that said, I'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck. Enjoy the games.